Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. I first saw my analyst of 66. We are now in our 50th year, and we are beginning to get somewhere. Please welcome Dr. Oliver Sacks. He was the first major intellectual who spoke about diseases to the general public in a way that they could understand. His writing brought back a central aspect of medicine, treat the person and not the disease. Life threw so many things at him, some of which he brought on himself. He was the first to admit. It was at that time they discovered that he was gay. Where do you go where your mother calls you an abomination? You go to San Francisco and stop writing home. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast. I am your host, Matthew Pekovich, and this is episode number 309. Releasing in Australian cinemas on the 3rd of December is Oliver Sacks' His Own Life, a documentary that delves into the life and work of the late great neurologist and writer Oliver Sacks. A story about science, survival, and revelation. Oliver Sacks' His Own Life is a remarkable film, and I'm happy to say that joining me today is the director of Oliver Sacks' His Own Life, Mr. Rick Burns. Rick, I thank you very much for joining me today. Matthew, thank you so much for having me. So it's really interesting, the origins of this documentary. You receive a call in 2015 by a person in, in Oliver Sacks' inner circle. They say he's dying, he wants to put his thoughts on film. And I imagine, like, for yourself, it would have been such a out-of-the-blue kind of thing, or maybe it wasn't. Did you want to – have you ever talked about collaborating with Oliver before, or was this something that never, you reached out never to? Never before. Okay. Never before. I, I, I knew him, as everyone does, through his writing – um, you know, man who mistook his wife for a hat or Awakenings, the film and the book. And, you know, he wrote, you know, extensively for the New Yorker, for the London Review of Books, for the New York Review of Books. And so, you know, from the 1980s on, he was such a presence in the kind of the cultural life of, of you know, Anglophone, you know, the Anglophone world and beyond, but particularly in England and Australia and New Zealand and America and Canada. Um, and so, it was really not something I ever considered. And I love doing films that come sort of come in flying over the transom like that. Mm-hmm. It take you, I don't want to say away from your comfort zone, out of your comfort zone, but take you because it's something you haven't, you know, sort of nurtured and thought about yourself. They cause you to move um, and, and kind of push forward or sideways. And I like that very much. And this was very much one of those projects where, not only was it not something that we, my colleagues and I had thought of doing, it was something that we had no, there was no time to really consider it. Oliver was going to die. He had four to six months. Um, we couldn't go into a research and development phase. We couldn't go, well, you know, I'll get back to you in a few weeks. It was really basically yes or no. And so, you know, my colleagues and I called it the yes project from the very beginning where, you know, we would continue to just affirmatively say yes um, and that's what we did. And so we found ourselves in short order in Oliver's living room, uh, you know, down in the Greenwich Village here in New York City, you know, on a cold day in early February, February 9th, a Monday, really not knowing a hell of a lot what to expect. Um, and the first interview lasted five days and 60 hours. Yeah. You know, Oliver even dying of a metastasized cancer 
um, you know, with cancer riddling his, beginning to riddle his liver, had more energy and stamina and kind of like vitality, you know, a, a very, very specific Saxian vitality than any 10 other people. So, you know, we spent that, you know, it was a deep immersion in that we had. Of course, with every project you do, there's of a responsibility towards the subject and towards your filmmaking and such. But in this case, you're dealing with a dying man's final revelations. Is, is there a certain kind of experience and responsibility even more so than other works before him? You know, I felt that so strongly. That's such a really, really sharp, sharp question. I think that that was the one that more than anything else we felt, which is, you know, his his legacy was, you know, he was well-known, he's widely celebrated. He wrote his own memoir, which came out in the spring of 2015, and in which he was candid about the same things in that book that he was candid with us about. He'd never talked about his sex- sexuality before outside of a very narrow circle. Um, he, you know, he never talked about the torment, about the battles with his mother. Um, but I still think there's nothing quite like, it's one thing to say that in a book where as the author, Oliver could control the horizontal and the vertical, it's his, he's in control. You know, in a film talking, you know, no matter what you are submitting, you have to trust somebody else. And, you know, I felt, I think all of us felt the weight of that trust considerably. And here's the thing, he's not a simple man. Hmm. You know, he's, uh, he's complicated and, you know, he's extreme and he's um, deeply self-absorbed and infinitely tender and open um, and, you know, uh, fitfully enraged and then extremely kind and gentle. So he was a real handful. And, you know, I didn't know him before and I didn't know anything about him other than what I had read of his work. And so to then have to come up to speed and not screw it up, not betray the trust, but at the same time, not betray another kind of trust, which is the contract you have with anybody who's going to sit down and watch the film and that there's no ulterior motive. You're not doing this because you're being paid. You're not doing this because, you know, um, someone's making you do it. You're doing this because you've established your own contract with a, a, a potential viewer. Um, and you have to honor that contract and that moral obligation every bit as much as you have to honor the moral obligation to be considerate, true, as delicate as you can be about, you know, about what? About a man's life. Um, and, you know, a person's life is a fairly precious thing. So I felt that, you know. I felt that, to be sure, really, really strongly, more strongly than any other project I've ever worked with. I'm interested in the post-production, especially the editing of the film. You have hours Mm -hmm. and hours of footage, other interview heads, really great archival footage uh, in the imagery as well. You have a team of editors that you have worked with before in previous films. How do you tackle something of this type of magnitude, this type of levity, uh, especially when it comes to putting all the pieces together and putting, you know, it's interesting, his work has always been of the written word. This time it's adapted to a different medium. and Also, you are a person of that medium. So when you're taking his life, put it into a different medium, put it all together, what was that like and what was the type of battle plan you had in trying to piece it all together? You know, it's always, you know, you're always film being a a mercilessly narrative medium. You know, you you can't fight it. You could fight it, but you'll lose. 
you know, it has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. And it doesn't stop unless, you know, I mean, you can stop it technically, but who wants, the director wants his or her film to be stopped. So the question really is, is what's the story? What is the sequence and arc that is going to shape this event? And that's, of course, something which you, you know, it's a story is not the same thing as the topic, of course. You know, there's the subject matter, Oliver Sacks, hmm. a man dying. And then there's, you know, this, the, the arc of the story of the film. And what does this film, so to speak, want to be or need to be? And so it's those very basic questions, which any of us, you know, in any, you know, temporal medium are asking ourselves each and every time out. And the story here was really, in some sense, when you find it, it always is you go like, well, how, why did that take me so long? You know, it's a story of a man who was born in 1933 and died in 2015, hmm. Oliver Sacks. It's also the story of a man who you met on a day in February, who'd been told he was going to die a month before, and who is not only talking about his life, but confronting his death. So those two narratives, the um, the mortality narrative, so to speak, in which existential issues are particularly keen, um, and then the, the more biographical, long-term biographical narrative. And it's where those two things kind of are constantly talking to each other, because you're aware that, you know, you might be on the one hand with Oliver Sacks at St. Paul's, you know, with Jonathan Miller, or, you know, he might be now, you know, now he's in New York with Robin Williams, you know, many, many years later. But the fact is, is that the whole time that Ro that Oliver Sacks is an 81 going on 82 year old man who has a mortal diagnosis of a metastasized cancer of his liver of his uh, from an ocular melanoma, which had metastasized to his liver. So he's you're always gauging what you're thinking about with respect to the biographical narrative, you know, through the optic of the other narrative which is, how is this person dealing with the fact that he's dying? Mm. That mean? We're all going to die. It's very basic, you know, banal in their you, you know, ubiquitous applicability. Um, and there he is dealing with that. And it's those two narratives, of course, the, the long-term and the immediate kind of converge towards inevitably towards the end of the film, you know, as he looks up and finishes reading a piece he'd written for the New York Times announcing his imminent death and looks up and everyone's crying. The filmmakers, his partner, Billy Hayes, his longtime colleague, Kate Edgar. And he goes, you know, well, that's it. And he goes, you know, I hope I can live as long as I can and be love and be sentient and, you know, um, be myself to the end or almost to the end. And then he looks around and there's a group of teary eyed adults you know, my cameraman, Buddy Squires included, me included. And he says, I see tears all around me, but I have not yet begun to shed them myself. And, you know, that relationship, Matthew, between those two narratives is what we came to understand was the story, which is finally, after trying a million versions of how to begin, the beginnings are always the toughest part, as, as we all know. We just walked in the door. So there it was, you know, why hide that? Here we are, a little filmmaking crew arriving with Oliver Sacks, and it's, you know, it's just a begin where we found him and where he found us. And when we finally figured that out, we kind of went like, wow, okay, that, that makes sense. And then that process begins to unfold. And as all filmmakers know, at a certain point, the film is in charge. It's each iteration is telling you more about what it needs to be, you know, too long here, too much there, something missing over here. 
until finally it's like a Rubik cube. All the blue ones are on one side and et cetera for the entire, you know, cube and you're done. Is it good? Is it bad? All yeah. Who knows? All the blue ones are on the same side. And then if you get shot in the head or fall down the stairs and die, you can do so knowing that the film's done. Final question. I'm sure every project that you've done has some type of effect on you. In this case, though, you are bearing witness to not only a man's work, but a legacy as well. Um, not only any man, but a person who really put down in writing the foundations of what it is to be human. Right. Once you walk into that door up to the point where your final cut is done and your first screening is aired, post, pre and post to Oliver Sacks' experience, are you changed as a person? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that... You know, Oliver Sacks' work was elemental. What is it be, to be a person? You know, it, it's dealing with this thing, which is the most intimate and familiar and the most mysterious um, aspect that, uh, uh, of life. You know, each of us is, as he, as he said, you know, we are, a se- we are sentient beings, thinking animals, by which he meant we are all aware and we are gifted not by God, but by neural networks with this extraordinary quality of having our own subjective experience of the world to which we, each of us has unique access. You know, he was, he was not the philosopher of subjectivity. He was the doctor writer uh, um, of, of subjectivity and he was upset by it his whole life. And it's so intimate and so familiar, all of us, have that experience. All of us were a 12-year-old or however old we were and looked at ourselves in the mirror and went with a certain kind of vertiginous, uncanny, you know, feeling, oh, that's me looking out at me. And that funny quality, you know, at once familiar and infinitely strange of being a person, of being a self, is what his subject was. He was a troubled self and a brilliant self and a determined self. And he brought all of those things in relationship to a cohort of people who were particularly troubled and yet particularly, I don't know what, courageous, um, you know, determined to keep going, to keep on going. And so I think it was transformative to be in relationship to somebody whose, whose life work was so quintessentially human. Um, and in which, you know, he, Oliver, always made us think about ourselves and apply these insights about someone who might be a Tourette or autistic or afflicted by one or blessed by one or another neuroatypical circumstance. And then to think about it in relationship to oneself and to all other people. So he was like a kind of a shaman of subjectivity. And to have the accidental good fortune of bring, being brought into contact with someone with that kind of funny, homely, North London, near Golders Green quality mm. of being a kind of a person whisperer, I think you would say. Um, that was really, the, you know, all subjects that are, we, t- we tackle in life, all projects interrogate our, ourselves as much as we interrogate them. I would say this one was of all the ones I've had the good fortune to work on, the most interrogative of all, and that's going to change you. 
So for everyone listening, December 3rd in Australian cinemas, Oliver Sacks, his own life. It's a fascinating movie. It's a beautiful movie. And dare I say, one of the best films I've seen of 2020. Rick Burns, I thank you very much for your time today. And congratulations. We really are great work here. It's really just a fantastic job. Thank you, Matthew. I'm so grateful to you. I really appreciate your words, which I'll share with my colleagues.